Steve Jobs once said, innovation is the only way to win. Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast, Nerdy Optometrist. This is your host, Ukti Vora. We all have been recently talking about the new buzzword in the healthcare, artificial intelligence. I'm sure artificial intelligence has been part of our lives in many other ways and forms, but healthcare has been a recent focus. And we all have our own doubts about its applications. And what better way to have an information from someone who has been part of this disrupting change in the healthcare industry. Uh, It's a pleasure to welcome our guest for today, Mr. Jayanth Ramasetti, who is a co-founder of Sigmoid, an AI-based startup that is disrupting the healthcare industry. Their focus is increasing clinical throughput by nine times. They have murky customers in count. LV Prasadas 1 are on track to see over 1.1 million patients using their AI systems. Jayant has a background from Columbia University and IIT Madras. It's a sheer pleasure to have him on this podcast. Hello, Mr. Jayant, and a warm welcome. Hi, Ufti. Thanks for having me over. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Happy to you know share my journey and maybe uh, hopefully doubt any questions you have. Thank you again. Awesome. So we're going to dive in uh, directly to learn a little more on your background because as you had mentioned earlier to me offline that you do not come from a healthcare background. So can you share a little more about your journey? Sure. Yeah, uh, that's correct. I am not from a medical background. However, I am working deep in the healthcare space. So a little bit about our journey is I started this venture about a year and a half ago. And we were making at the time, uh, you know, uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning models Mm -hmm. uh, that was primarily in radiology. Um, Then one of the doctors from a leading hospital sort of just happened to, you know, look at our work and he was really excited. And then um, he referred to another doctor, so on and so forth. And then we landed up uh, with a very big uh, leading person at an ophthalmology uh, institute or an eye institute. Um, and then when they saw our work, they were like really excited in terms of the potential, in terms of the competence, um, mm-hmm. and said, can you do this specific problem for us uh, in uh, cleaning of images? And uh, so that's the problem that we picked up. And there was sort of, uh, so to speak, uh, no looking back, we decided that should be our primary focus. And we continued on that. So you did mention that, you know, uh, you do not come from a healthcare background and I get actually happened. I do know you also serve other part of healthcare industry as well. So which other segment of healthcare are you focusing at Sigmoid? Sure. So Ukti, um, you asked me what are the other kinds of areas we're looking at? Mm-hmm. We started looking first primarily with radiology uh, and within radiology, uh, you know, most of the divisions are by body parts, um, meaning you, know, you have chest, you have brain, so abdomen, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So chest is where we picked up first, which is, I think, any classic, uh, you know, machine learning scientist sort of engineers, uh, bread and butter in terms of, you know, computer vision or imaging. And after that, we started progressing to MRIs um, right. and thereafter CT scans. Uh, we have, we've done a little bit of work in PET scans as well. But the bulk of the work, as you might have connected the dots is in computer vision. Right. So when we talk about, you know, this artificial intelligence, the new buzzword, everyone is talking about it. But as I mentioned earlier, very few really understand it. So and because you've been working, you know, in the eye care and the healthcare segment, can you walk us through the implementation and how what is artificial intelligence from your perspective and how would you walk us through its steps in eye care or healthcare? 
Sure. I mean, um, yeah, that's a that's a good question uh, from a microscopic perspective. So I'm definitely not an artificial intelligence expert. I mean, there are lots of other people who've done lo- way more work in terms of either theoretical science, etc. So just to, uh, but I definitely think uh, we have a slightly deeper understanding of the health sciences, and particularly from these two divisions, ophthalmology and radiology. So pertaining to your question, um, AI is the science of discerning patterns, using technology to extract patterns and make some actionable insights. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, if you have a software program and it's seeing a cat, um, now you write computer code, uh, you know, your for loops or the loops, and can you detect the next cat? Right. So if let's say you 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 uh, and you start writing a program, which all of us know, let's say if the length is less than hypothetically ten centimeters and the width is greater than uh, you know five centimeters and it has whiskers and if it has a nose, so on and so forth, all of these things you sort of hard code, right? That's traditional software programming, which you know many of you probably are familiar with because you know we've done uh, or at least most of us have done in schooling a lot of simple scripts. However, uh, so that's the way a program learns, which is sort of not the way natural, uh, you know, humans learn or animals learn. Uh, the brain does not work like that. Uh, now, however, if you write an AI program, what you do is you feed it not one image of cat, you feed it 100 images of cat, right. and you say, can you detect the 101st cat? So what the AI is doing, you know, under the hood is there's no logic, there's no if program, there's no for loop saying its height, length, mm. so on and so forth. Uh, the AI is discerning and extracting these patterns on your own. And scientists are still figuring out those hidden features. Like, mm. how is the AI able to detect these the 101st cat? So there's still a question of how the AI is able to detect or is able to figure out the features, uh, you know, from those 100 cats uh, and how it right. can use that to detect the 101st cat. And that's a lot of research work going on. But the way AI works is, you know, you feed it 100 cats, it figures out the 101st cat. The way software programming works is you write code, specific code distances or features, so on and so forth, on mm-hmm. one cat, and then it figures out the second cat, right? So that's the difference. Um, now, in terms of AI, sort of the history, just again, forest foot trees, trying to look at a zoomed out picture. AI is not new. It's been called with other words, etc. And right. 20, 30 years ago, any pattern recognition, uh, for instance, the simplest machine learning models is your Y equals MX, which is nothing but a straight line fit used in stock market, etc. Uh, the first AI models were there 50, 60 years ago. That's the 1950s. Uh, but what has changed in the last 10 years uh, or eight years specifically mm-hmm. is the computational power sort of finally uh, caught up with the algorithms, right? Uh, so one miracle that's powering the next wave. Uh, so right now it's a great time because compute power is cheap and algorithms are plenty. They've been, you know, in the dust, uh, mm-hmm. getting dust in the last, uh, you know, 50, 60 years. So now they're all in the full glory. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think this basic difference in understanding that you just explained with uh, an example, I think, was very informative. Thank you for sharing in layman's term for people like us, you know, who are still struggling to understand the new buzzword. Uh, when you talk about implementation of, you know, it. It's in eye care or health care. How does the process work? If you can just, you know, give a glimpse of how it is uh, being implemented. Sure, yeah. So the process really uh, depends mostly 
you know clinic to clinic or institute to institute or hospital to hospital but the broad lowest common denominator or the overreaching sort of uh, or the underlying pattern is um so hospitals all have their own id infrastructure that can be you know mm-hmm. in a small scale it could be a small emr or in a large system uh, which has maybe which sees more than 100000 patients um might see might have like complex infrastructure complex it infrastructure there could be the emr there could be the his uh, which is an electronic medical record system or a hospital information systems so all these could be aggregated and you know they interact in different ways the key here is uh, you know looking at where your ai algorithms fit in so this is sort of like saying there's a car and you've made in a much more you know smarter uh, ignition or, or you know a carburetor where in the whole workflow do you go and fit so that the car goes faster that's essentially what you're trying to do now the the next question you might ask me is how do i know the car is optimized for speed i mean am i only trying to go faster right. am i trying to pick up more people that's four five people am i optimizing for mileage so on so forth so really depends on the use case within the clinic so several clinics only focus on accuracy i mean they really want very high precision let's say microanism detection within a low end camera um mm-hmm. or some people might say you know what i want to screen population very fast but it's in a rural area where access to internet is not that great so can i make low latency ai algorithms essentially mean if there's no internet can i still work there's a model still work so really depends on what the clinic or the stakeholder there is asked you to do and as you know partners we sort of make sure we try to sort of create that ai application that will be suited for their needs got it actually you did share a wonderful research with me where how algorithms or artificial intelligence helped in detect multiple uh, dimensions to one research which would have been probably impossible if it was done manually can you just quickly walk through that example that you had shared with me earlier so what i had shared uh, earlier was one of our uh, works we had done with uh, a gastroenterologist so there what happens is uh, like i said so you know you got to think of this like pre ai era and post ai era um, you know mm-hmm. similar to what's going on right now outside which is like post covid and pre covid world <laughs> there's a pre ai and a post ai so earlier like i said there are research papers Uh, like i told you in the example about cats there are research papers notably from oxford etc that say how do you make a cat algorithm and uh, these are not trivial papers these are very serious papers because the same algorithm that used to detect cats can be used for facial recognition uh, so on and so forth so if you look at the progression uh, earliest algorithms were by scientists looking at thousands and millions of cats probably not millions maybe 5000s of cats um and really going minute details in measuring you know the distance between the eyes the different the, the kinds of whiskers the kinds of hunches so on and so forth like people would painfully do that now and there are papers and and those articles have sort of gotten 61% accuracy now what happened post 2012 was specifically at stanford and and at jeffrey hinton for a stanford competition he started using these breakthrough models using a lot of ai So bear in mind that the previous cat detection algorithms were all manual and now within machine learning mm-hmm. again there are two types one is uh, within ai there are two types the machine learning and the deep learning so once deep learning came in that kicked everybody's sort of butt because the accuracies were suddenly better than human 
So human accuracy is around 89% in detecting cats. When I say human, it's an expert human who's a cat connoisseur. Now, once it started hitting 90, mm-hmm. 91%, they were like, wow, this is significantly better than a human. Um, so then that research paper that Hinton wrote defeated the previous scientists' research papers. And that, that's the nature of the game. Like new research appends earlier research, so on and so forth. Uh, the specific mm-hmm. example I had sort of shown to you was in gynecology, uh, similar to this, but that was not a vision problem. That was like a tablet problem. Uh, but I sort of gave you this example because it's more uh, easily identifiable. Absolutely. Now, you actually uh, mentioned to another very interesting uh, words or terms, which people usually uh, can get confused with is machine learning and deep learning. If you can give a little more uh, example on how do you break down artificial intelligence, machine learning and deep learning? Sure. Yeah. So, um, like, again, this industry is evolving very, very quickly. So, you know, a lot of the nomenclature and the jargon is being set uh, by behemoths. And by behemoths, I mean, uh, you know, the fan companies like Facebook, Apple, uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. Google, and the universities like, you know, MIT, Oxford, so on and so forth. So you got to see, you got to understand that this is also a fluid nomenclature. Now, but for the purpose of being slightly strict uh, in terms of definition, let's take a shot of this. So AI is the whole uh, grandfather. Got it. Now, there is a great, great grandfather that's data science about that. So back in the day when I did, you know, a lot of my coursework, 2012, things were called data science. Mm-hmm. So, so the data science is like the forefather. Mm-hmm. The first child or the grandfather is AI. Oh. Right? Now, adjacent to AI or the sibling is big data. Uh, now, we're not going to get into big data. That's a different science. Right. Now, we're interested in AI. So within AI, the child or the father is your uh, machine learning. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, machine learning has a newer child, or that's like sort of the current generation which I'm speaking about, is deep learning. So this is the hierarchy. So let's try this once more. So forefather data science has a son called AI. AI has a son called machine learning. Machine learning has a son called deep learning, and that's where we are. Got it. Now... Are these ironclad definitions? Not really. So, for instance, if you look at Andrew Yang's course, you know, the father of uh, Coursera, the founder of Coursera, um, also Google's biggest scientist, he still calls deep learning machine learning. That's simply because he, he can afford to and he's like a pioneer in the field. Uh, Berkeley still calls this machine learning, even though they're doing a lot of deep learning work. So take these definitions with a pinch of salt based on geography, whom you're working with, etc. But pretty much this is like the hierarchy. Got it. I think that's very interesting because as you rightly mentioned that depending on what you're reading, where you're reading, it can be confusing and it's not a direct definition. Even though it has been segregated in a hierarchical system, people might have a different perception of how they want to term it. And I think this was very, very helpful. I'm sure uh, we are all very clear of what are the diff- like the four different you know segments of it. Uh, so now talking about uh, Sigmoid's work in eye care, uh, can you highlight a little more on what are the problems that you all have been currently solving or, you know, looking deep into using AI? Sure, yeah. Um, so we are building a complete, uh, you know, medical robotic process automation platform. Now, what that means, uh, what that sort of jargon means is uh, we try to look at inefficiencies in the continuum of care and we believe those friction points can be solved by technology, particularly AI or, you know, adjacent other uh, technologies. 
Uh, we believe every workflow can be every friction or every pain point a clinician has can be broken to two simple aspects. One of them is text, like actual text, and second one is images. So if you look at any uh, you know physician, you take, you know, or a clinician, or you know starting from an optometrist till a seasoned you know very experienced doctor, all of them do two things: they write or they scribe, or be is they look at images right and this is these two fundamentals are true for any science you look at nephrology you look at gynecology you look at ophthalmology you look at neurology so on and so forth everybody has text that they have to deal with either writing or reading and uh, writing or saying or b is uh, reading reports uh, so reading images now we believe right. these are the two things that contribute to a significant portion of your doctor's day job and we try to sort of mm-hmm. increase that Throughput uh, around that friction or solve for that friction. What is how does that look? So let's take a small example. Uh, more than forty-three percent of a clinician's time today is spent in typing or scribing reports. Uh, and if you studies have shown that's the most uh, boring piece of a job, right? The most gratifying piece of a job is is, is talking to patients, uh, <laughs> you know, meeting more patients, or the empathy layer, or doing research in many cases. So this is where it's exciting. Now, AI, we have a belief where an AI should be used for all the mundane and the repetitive tasks, right? So we built we built two features. One is called Textrad, and the other one is called Screenrad. Text automates text, like pre-filled reports, auto-complete reports, so on and so forth, or including prescriptions. We're getting there. Screenrad helps you triage images uh, or triage videos. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're looking at a video of a cataract surgery, and you want to. The the post surgical outcome was great, so can you do that? Looking at the surgery, uh, now normally a human would have to do that, but the AI can do that for you and give a rating on a scale of ten if this operation went well or not by a junior technician, a uh, junior surgeon. Sorry. Next, another use case is uh, let's say you're seeing a lot of images right now thanks to tele ophthalmology, and you want to discern if uh, you're getting if this particular patient is a normal or an abnormal for glaucoma. Uh, you can do that using AI and so forth. So these are the pro- kind of rich problems we are solving for right now. Mm-hmm. And you have, you have similar use cases for radiology. Uh, and like I said, for CT scans, MRIs, you have similar use cases uh, for gastroenterology as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think what you have shared are really interesting uh, examples, especially now that we are, you know, moving towards telehealth. I'm sure, you know, if we could see and have these patterns that can help us predict and assist doctors for better diagnostics uh, would be really useful, uh, as well as uh, your example of your cataract surgery, I think was amazing, especially for young ophthalmologists, you know, who are under training. Now, uh Focusing, uh, you know, that you've been working in eye care and healthcare, what were your major hurdles when, you know, you dived into this segment of our business? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, a bunch of things, actually. Um, so healthcare is not easy. <laughs> so if you have a healthcare idea, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, I'm, actually, but there is some merit in that statement because, it's a tough practice. I mean, uh, it's a definitely a lot of very gratifying. And I'm first reduced. I mean, obviously, doctors who are on the front lines do an amazing job. Uh, kudos to their, uh, you know, work ethic. I've not seen like a... I mean, I've seen a doctor almost always busy. I don't think engineers are busy. They, they at least have a chill time or they have sort of some proclivity towards 
taking a rest taking rest or break but i feel clinicians are wired all the time right so having said that so that's both a boon boon and a bane for uh, innovation and i'll tell you why so these are my observations number one doctors or clinicians have um are extremely busy and getting their buy in and, and many times like you know big projects like these require uh, the whole hospital or at least the key stakeholders who might be four five people to be in the same room at the same time for multiple meetings to get your sign off right right so that becomes a big challenge um, um, just by systemic nature doctors are busy uh, and be they are also resistant to change uh, so i think in terms of uh, you know historically and this is not my saying but historically uh, for some unforeseen reason uh, you know it's kind of a little uh, distressing to us to say uh, the industry that's moved fastest in terms of innovation and adoption has always been aviation aviation ranks number 1 so if you want to see the latest technology being used it should be it, it's mostly in aviation or in a flight you might see mm-hmm. second is obviously finance then you have e-commerce so on so forth that's the pecking order unfortunately healthcare has been the last because of uh, you know multitude of things either regulatory issues compliance issues so number one is definitely dealing with the personnel is kind of uh, a slow process in general i mean and this is not pertaining especially to you know developing world but i think even the developed world um right and, and and it can get the spectrum can be mildly fast to draconian measures right um, so that's number one number two is the nature of the it infrastructure so uh, remember that we interface with something already inside so meaning uh, right. we are not uber like uh, you know standalone app you can just go download and or you know un- uninstall and sort of user app we're right. we're an app within an app right so for instance right. uh you know this is go back to the days when you know uh, google was sort of uh you know inside your uh, yahoo search engine or maybe a, you know a much more pertinent example could be uh, a new api like razor pay i don't know if you guys use razor pay or paypal apis Uh, there are payment gateways within your actual uh, CC avenue payment gateways within your actual credit card transaction uh, portals right right so these these are companies that you don't typically see because they are interface with b2b now the challenge with any b2b is you're at you have to interface with these complex infrastructures mm-hmm. um i mean so for instance for each hospital it might have its own it infrastructure you have to understand each of the infrastructures and you have to sort of Uh, built for them so it's sort of like an architect right? Um, right an architect has to design custom for every uh, hospital uh, you know house so on so forth so that's a little bit of a limiting factor uh, it's challenging obviously because it's an overhead to understand every ecosystem and design for them uh, go through the stakeholder get their all their buy in that's the second problem and third biggest problem i think which is by far uh, i think the biggest problem Uh, and it has two parts one is the data acquisition strategy so remember how i said cats 100 cats uh, well then right. that getting cat images are very easy but getting images <laughs> of hospital of patients is like a mammoth task uh, simply again because of the above reasons i told you it's regulatory right. getting it out of the it infrastructure is, is humongous a task in itself and then you have to do pii like as in you have to make sure all patients are identified uh because any one of these patients can tomorrow say hey jay you know what sigma is made 100 million dollars and now i'm better su- i'm going to sue you for 10% of that so i mean not just me i think any company is exposed to that including google uh 
So you have to be very careful about that. Uh, so that's the data acquisition strategy, and your model is only as good as if it's actually hundred cats. Like, what if the hundred, what if the ninety ninth cat was actually a dog? Then your model is actually wrong, right? Mm. What if there were nineteen dogs in those hundred uh, supposed cat images? So then your model is further wrong, right? Right. You ca- you can maybe do that for cats, but you cannot do that in a self driving car. You cannot do that in healthcare. You have to get it right, including the ground truth. So that's a, a definitely a big problem, and that's understated. These are like problems, you know. Yeah. Empirically, uh, somebody who's done, who's deployed, and who's seen, who's on track to see scale gets to know these. The last problem, the third sub point B was compliance. Like uh, after all this, you still have to be compliant. Uh, and the problem with compliance is uh, compliance is also evolving. So compliance for let's say a pacemaker is set. Like tomorrow, if you're making a new you know, heart face maker, or if tomorrow you're making a new lens for cataract, that's done. Like that's been going on since 30 years. The rules are set. You've got to follow the set process. Right. Compliance for AI is still being figured out because the compliant uh, creating authorities or the government, so as to speak, or the healthcare departments are still figuring out, uh, you know, how do I go about making uh, laws or policies for this new framework. Right. So that's a slightly moving target. So these are the three targets. And like I said, there's several moving. Uh, but hopefully, you know, uh, you know, things will settle and, uh, you know, we can sort of nail them now. Yeah. Uh, again, I feel, you know, how you had initially mentioned about this pre-COVID and post-COVID situation. Uh, I'm sure things have been moving much faster than it would have been expected, you know, pre-COVID. And people have especially the governing body are focusing more on putting these compliance rules in place uh, sooner than later to help you know prepare for the new the next generation of healthcare delivery systems so that's that's the shining you know behind this entire dark cloud that we all have been facing for now uh, i i wanted to ask you this question that you know uh, you we all have the whole perception of it around surrounded with this buzzword but according to you which were the major myths or misconceptions that surrounded artificial intelligence and specifically in eye care or healthcare in general yeah sure uh, some of the myths i can think of in terms of debunking for ai is um, the same example that i mentioned uh, you know a little while back about the cats so like i said um you know software engineering is about writing rules right rules like if the length of your whisker is greater than 10 mm or 10 cm you're a cat if not you're a dog so on and so forth and you have to write maybe you know 10 rules 20 rules 100 rules thousands of rules that's how whatsapp works as well uh now b the second thing is ai works in a way wherein you're actually looking for patterns and um you know it does magically the patterns right so you look at 100 cats and then 101st cat is what it figures out so the biggest myth is people think that because it started beating human accuracy uh, you know people fear the unknown what is known is actually you start becoming complacent what is unknown you start fearing uh so the biggest misconception is will ai be able to detect everything will ai be able to replace for instance doctors yeah. uh, i think i would like to debunk that myth so one the first uh, reason for de- there are two reasons i think first reason for debunking that myth is AI is a strong specialist it is not a generalist mm. it's very easy to specialize in something for machine as opposed to generalizing the other way is correct in terms of humans uh, for instance if 
if my cat detector is there and if i start feeding it instead of 100 images you know 110 images it starts really becoming good in cat now but the minute if i give it something else the cat it was never seen like for instance a persian cat which is an egyptian dog something that's very very close it will fail right right because you never showed it for and let's take a little more complex example or uh, slightly more let's say if i ask it to say here's a picture of an elephant can you detect i know that you're saying it's not a cat but can you tell it's an elephant it will not tell that uh, uh, so the ai will fail miserably in areas where uh, it has no sort of knowledge uh, that's number one number two is mm-hmm. sorry n- uh, the number one is that and human minds work differently like a child doesn't have to be shown 100 cat images to figure out the 101st cat you can show it five images and you know the child will be able to figure out um, so systemically mi- machines learn di- or at least see things differently the way humans do right. humans have a much more superior way of thinking uh, or at least most humans <laughs> Yeah, I think this was a very satisfying uh, response from you because everyone is kind of scared of fear that AI is going to overtake and overpower humans. At least uh, this is more uh, comforting response. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is it is it is it is. And second thing is that's from a, you know, philosophical uh, answer. Second thing is systemic to technology again, AI has a lot of drawbacks. Uh for instance, uh the way, like remember how i said some of the layers or some of the features that it's picking up from this 100 cats is very very new and we are still learning so there's been research that sh- right. that's uh, that's showing and i would have loved to show you you know if there was an option to share uh, there's research showing that if i fool it you know if i just make like interchange the cats uh, eyes with its nose the ai is still going to incorrectly say it's a cat uh now you might say like what that wow. sounds so weird but that's the way it, it's happening yeah. the way ai sees is truly very different uh, and there's um, amazing amount of research going on so that's another drawback uh, case in point is self driving cars so some smart people have figured out that uh, you know the way a car identifies the other car is very different from how human eyes see mm-hmm. so what they do is many cars on the road that don't want to be tracked by self driving cars actually have a small post it with some small you know uh, ocr code or like a bar code or something and then the car that you're driving cannot see the car ahead of you yeah so again lots of uh, bizarre things going on so a lot of things ai has humongous uh, limitations as well yeah Yeah I I I agree that there is this um, myth or misconception that people feel that AI is is out there it's going to you know uh, it's perfect it's going to take our jobs uh, so on and so forth but there's a lot of work and I had actually read one of the examples pertaining to I care which I would like to share is which follows all the examples that you shared when we're talking about the images say retinal images or retinal scans that are taken and scanned you know based to identify conditions uh using the ai technology i did read that if it is taken say from top con machine versus a zeiss machine it might just give completely incorrect uh, results so there's a lot of work that needs to be done to train and you know develop that side of it so i think it resonates with what you had the, the examples you shared with yeah, us yeah. so uh 
talking about eye care specifically uh, how do you think optometrist or eye care providers can provide uh, or contribute to uh, to development of these technologies sure yeah uh, i think one of the uh, biggest pieces of insights so as to call it that i sort of learned or picked up on the way is there is nobody better to power a disruption than the person who's actually feeling it or undergoing it so for instance my strength is obviously ai but my limitation is the clinical workflow like if you were to ask me to build the next big software i think maybe i might be good at it but if you ask me to build the next big disruptive thing in clinical workflow i might have a slightly more harder time because i am not seeing patients every day right as optometrists as perimetrists or as clinicians i think you are incredibly you know on the front lines you meet you talk you touch uh you see patient reports you see the workflows you, you, you see the opportunities um you see the friction points and therefore the opportunities much better than all of us uh, and i think that's where i would request all to uh, maybe meet us halfway down and make our jobs slightly easier because what's happening is we spend more time trying to understand the clinical workflows trying to meet you more than halfway mm-hmm. uh, and that's not really an ideal outcome i think healthcare there's amazing amounts of opportunity in terms of leveraging technology and suppressing costs especially in you know geographies where i work uh, like for instance the emerging markets where cost is a huge factor right. there is no dearth of uh, demand there's going to be empty number of patients uh, there's going to be newer and newer diseases as evidenced by the age right now or when this podcast is being recorded the covid era well, that's only going to increase like studies have shown that morbidities are going to continue to increase because of the changing lifestyle sedentary food styles higher sugar intake so on and so forth optometrists <coughs> definitely know uh, i would say maybe four to five morbidities very very closely and they have a very unique way and hence they can contribute to those insights where you can disrupt that system and make their throughput faster if they're seeing 15 patients i think they should be consumed with the thought how do i see 90 patients a day and how can i use technology to make it 6x right 15 times 6 right. is, is 90 uh perimetrists if they're seeing you know hvs data etc again same use cases if they're seeing let's say 10 patients a day can i see 20 patients a day and can i use ai to further suppress the cost so let's say if, if the charge is 5 dollars i'm just making it up can i suppress the cost from 5 dollars to 4 dollars how do i use technology to do that so cost efficiency you know increasing throughput amazing plenty of other opportunities uh also maybe you can even go for the moonshot like as a optometrist who's let's say earning x dollars can i cover morbidities an ophthalmologist covers who's earning probably 10x uh because ai can you know with the magic wand so as to speak you can be from you can go from like a regular lady to a cinderella right you can have enhanced powers how can i get to do that so i think technology can be used but it's it's like i said it's like electricity you really need to tell should i turn on the fridge or should i turn on the fan should i turn on the ac that's where we need help and that's where i think all the ecosystem can benefit yeah i think this is fantastic what you shared of you know helping us understand how to come up with your examples that you shared how to come up with problem statements how to think uh, implementation of technology in every step of the workflow because if we are so self tuned in doing work in certain process that we forget that it could be done in a better way so i feel that is where people uh, especially whether it's optometrist or healthcare workers need to step back and realize how can i increase efficiency and reduce cost i think 
these are wonderful thoughts uh, which i take from our conversation today which will help and you know provide more questions and more uh, innovations in i care and i appreciate you sharing those ideas thank you so much okay so uh, i have added this one fun segment i do know we talked a lot about technology a lot of innovation but we started this fun segment called rapid fire like any of uh, the talk shows unfortunately there are no hampers yet but you never know okay. it might happen in the future so we're just going to go uh, dive in into a little more fun side of you and it's as it's rapid just uh, you know ensure you share your like your quickest answers uh, so are you ready for it you sure go for it yeah okay perfect so you have traveled in multiple city which is your favorite city or favorite destination new york city new york wonderful and uh, based on your travel which is your favorite destination that you have either been there or you would like to go there i love uh, cambodia oh interesting uh, your favorite cuisine indian wonderful if we were to write an autobiography about your journey uh, what would you like to title it change is the only constant ah interesting <laughs> uh Uh, your favorite segment uh, this is a little more personal radiology or ophthalmology or eye care which is your favorite segment don't don't just choose because you are on an on an eye care uh, podcast okay just be honest i would do radiology <laughs> radiology okay perfect i do know you also teach at lv prasad and you you know you do a lot of lecturing what do you like more teaching or uh, developing uh, new innovations in your uh, company so oh, that's a hard one uh, i would love uh... right now more innovation more innovation wonderful if i retire with escaping poverty i think i'll i'll, I'll continue i'll start teaching or resume teaching yeah okay so you did kind of balanced it out good <laughs> now if yeah. uh, okay next question uh, if you could change change one thing in optometry or eye care curriculum or add something what would that be i would use uh, i would definitely add um, a section saying you know you leveraging current technology uh, in your clinical workflows and one last thing is a uh, last question one thing if you would like to tell to a younger giant what would that be uh don't choose optometry <laughs> no i'm joking uh, i would say um don't be short sighted be long sighted i would say don't don't be in business for uh, making a quick buck the quick buck is uh, very easy it comes only in 10 years or 12 years yeah yeah interesting so uh, i think this was this was fantastic thank you so much for being such a good sport and you know being part of the rapid fire and uh, before we let you go one last final take away message that you would like to share um i think the take away message is the ai revolution is, is real it's incredibly powerful um i would request you to sort of harness it you i mean think of it like electricity and in a techies who develop such as myself are electricians but you are the main stakeholder you know where you know your refrigerator is you know where the tv is etc you are the brain child so you will have to guide us in terms of uh, you know bringing rich rich use cases and you know collaboratively disrupting the world yeah or changing at least optimal ophthalmology market that's awesome i think this was a wonderful takeaway uh, i'm sure after listening to this all of my listeners will start thinking of how they can you know be part of the innovation and 
reach out to all you innovators out there and come up with a lot more problem statements to solve and uh, improve this entire healthcare delivery system. So thank you once again, Jayanth. It was a pleasure to uh, have you on the, on my podcast and learning a lot more about AI and technology. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Yukti. I mean, glad to have you, uh, you know, take your time. in terms of uh, uh, you know mining these questions i think they are very very well crafted uh, both the basic questions and the rapid fire i hope this reaches out to you know many people and you know we can spread the message and hope uh, you know look forward to seeing some nice rich use cases and hopefully we can solve them thank you and appreciate your time thank you so much